Hello and welcome to this episode of the Cyclo Edition, the podcast for those looking to go above and beyond in their understanding of the organic literature. I'm Wesley Swords, and I'm joined today by Grace Lutovsky and Matt Genzink. Today on the podcast, we are going to dive into the magic methyl effect, its importance in medicinal chemistry and why we as synthetic chemists should care. We were inspired by a recent paper published by Dr. Christina White in Nature that developed a powerful late-stage methylation strategy. In fact, we interviewed Dr. Christina White about her recent paper and her approach to methodology development. That episode will be posted soon. In today's episode, we discuss historical and recent work in selective methylation chemistry and briefly Dr. White's paper. Enjoy. So today on the Cyclo Edition, we really wanted to explore the magic methyl effect in relationship to Dr. White's recent late stage CH methylation paper. And so we wanted to give you, uh, provide the context for you of the magic methyl effect and the papers that have led up to Christina White's recent nature paper. We were fortunate to do an interview with uh, Dr. Christina White. So this episode will be leading up to her paper and talk about a, a little bit about her paper, but then next week we'll release an interview with her where she'll go into a lot greater detail on um, her chemistry and the chemistry her group has developed over the past years leading up to her CH methylation paper. So many of you might be aware that methyl groups have a very large impact on the physical properties of a molecule and the biological properties or the activity of a molecule, specifically with late stage drug candidates. And these properties have been shown to do a variety of different things with increasing or decreasing the half-life of the molecule when it's metabolized or increasing the potency of the molecule or the binding selectivity. So introducing a methyl group can have a variety of benefits, but scientists aren't necessarily sure the outcome of adding the methyl group until it is on the molecule and they were able to test for these properties. So the addition of additional functionality to drug candidates to attempt to improve their functionality in the body, um, their potency, um, importantly, is something that a lot of people are looking at. Um, different functional groups have different additions, but the, the methyl group has kind of gained this magic effect where you know there, there is this now term, uh, terminology for it called the magic methyl effect, where the addition of a methyl to a drug ends up kind of boosting its activity much higher than you typically expect it would. Um, and so kind of just as a baseline, basically the addition of the methyl allows for the molecule to be a little bit better, e more easily solvated in the body. Um, it removes a few water molecules that would typically be needed to solvate the drug candidate uh, in an aqueous environment, um, and it increases the lipophilicity of that molecule, um, which typically will favor being encapsulated in a protein. You can kind of think of the difference in free energy of solvation between being solvated in an aqueous environment versus um, being encapsulated in the protein in that, that um, upon replacing a proton for a methyl group, the, the difference in that driving force is about a, a kcal per mole. If you kind of go through the whole calculation, that would typically correspond to a, about a fourfold boost in potency just due to the addition of this methylation and the change in that lipophilicity of the, the drug candidate. Um, Jorgensen had a more empirical evaluation, which showed that on average, um, a single methyl group might boost the potency of, an, of a new drug candidate about a tenfold if that methyl group would sit in a hydrophobic cavity on that protein. In extreme cases, that could get a little bit higher, but 
what I think was, was more interesting to me at least was the methyl group is not guaranteed to increase the efficiency of, of a drug candidate at all. And there was a statistical analysis of more than 2,100 um, examples of drug candidates in medicinal chemistry with methyl groups. And basically it found a perfect bell curve in terms of the increased or decrease of activity of drug candidates, uh, leading to the analysis that people kind of go by today, which is there's about a 8% chance that uh, methylation will give you about a tenfold boost in activity for your um, new drug molecule and um, only a, about a half a percent of the chance that you'll get a, a more than a hundredfold boost. Um, but it's these these very low chances, the, these small times where you get this really large boost that we call this addition of the methyl, the, meth the magic methyl effect. It is the, so for a, a good definition, the magic methyl effect is when the free energy gain for activity is at or above that that is predicted. And so anytime that basically the activity that you find for your drug candidate, you know, kind of beats this, this tenfold increase, this five to tenfold increase is when you, you basically uh, consider that the magic methyl effect. And before we go, I guess, any further into the magic methyl effect, uh, we've been mentioning this increase in potency a lot. And so just defining what is actually meant by that, uh, potency is just the amount of drug that is required to produce um, some effect of a given intensity. And so oftentimes you'll see IC, IC50 values listed under drugs. And so that is a measure of potency. So like Wes was saying, the magic methyl effect is when you see um, the installation of a methyl group produce um, some large increase in potency, much larger than the predicted 3.5 fold increase. And what scientists have attributed this effect to is the conformational preorganization of a molecule. So depending on where you place a methyl group, it can change the conformation of the given molecule. This could presumably help the binding of the molecules. So for example, if you place a methyl group in the ortho position of an arene, so this can change the dihedral angle in a biaryl compound. So for example, when adding a methyl group to this compound, if you would like to refer to our YouTube drawings, um, it might be easier to get an idea of what we're trying to say, um, but adding a methyl group to the ortho position changes the dihedral angle from 50 degrees to 65 degrees by simply adding this methyl. And scientists have investigated this compound specifically and found that when this is bound to the active site in the body, the dihedral angle of this molecule is 85 degrees. So by adding this methyl group, it increases or it changes the dihedral angle to be more like the bound substrate. And because of this uh, pre-organization, uh, it increases the binding affinity of the molecule, and therefore you see a 208-fold increase in the potency. A similar conformational effect was also observed in a drug candidate from Merck. And they noticed that when they added a methyl group, alpha to a nitrogen, on a piperidine ring, it changed the conformation of the molecule. So specifically, it changed the conformation of the six-membered piperidine ring to a U-shape, which was confirmed by NMR. And it changed the conformation to minimize 1,3 diaxial strain 
And what that really did is put the whole molecule in a conformation that better bound to the biological receptor and ended up in a 480-fold boost in potency. I think this is, yeah, the, the important point to kind of take out of these two stories, which is the addition of the methyl, one, one of the biggest effects the addition of the methyl can have is on the conformation of the molecule and either better match it to the active site or you know, reduce its activity based on how you add it. So some of the thoughts of places where you, you, you typically think of adding the methyl groups are, are in these, say, ortho positions of multi-ring systems um, where you can kink a um, two rings against each other, or, you know, in uh, free moving kind of long chain systems where again, add the addition of a methyl may change the free rotation around um, carbon bonds or carbon hetero atom bonds, or on um, saturated ring systems where again, you may be able to induce um, strict conformations of these ring systems to better match enzyme binding sites. And so this is definitely one of the, the, the key areas of methylation chemistry is the addition of these methyls in places where you get strong control of the conformation of these molecules. So one thing I found really interesting in reading in the background of this podcast was why are we introducing a methyl group specifically? And so if it's just due to this conformational organization of the molecule, can't other groups do the exact same thing? Like, can we add, add other small um, functional groups like a fluorine or a CF3 or other alkyl groups? Um, why is a methyl group so important? And uh, we found that the methyl group is the smallest group that minimizes the change in the properties of the molecule. It has a small molecular weight, it's not too lipophilic, and you can add it to most positions and the molecule will be stable. Um, if you think of fluorine, on the other hand, adding a fluorine to certain positions of a molecule may be unstable, and adding a CF3 group uh, would be a more stable variant of that, but it's bulky and it introduces three fluorines to the molecule, which is a large change in mass and a very lipophilic group. Um, and so in general, chemists have found that uh, large greasy molecules do not have as much success of becoming drugs. Um, these rules that Grace are talking about um, have been somewhat codified and they're, they're typically referred to as Lipinski's rules. And they basically just kind of define the, the thoughts that you might have, gen general thoughts that you have in terms of designing, you know, these drug candidates or, or what makes a good drug candidate, basically the, the number of hydrogen bond donors you might want to have, hydrogen bond acceptors, the two factors that kind of play a role in um, functionality. Typically, drug molecules are a bit small, so they don't want, you know, large molecular masses, anything greater than about 500 grams per mole. And typically, you don't want the molecule to be too overly lipophilic. So the addition of functional groups that may push you out of these regions you know, may, could, you know, cause alternative effects to drug molecules that, that we're not looking for when you're just trying to add a small group late stage. It should be noted that there's been some discussion in the literature recently about how accurate these rules are. So they are really just a general guide that have a good number of exceptions. And one of the last ways that adding a methyl group to a drug candidate can increase its efficacy is through changing the rate of drug metabolism. Basically, all this is is more of a pharmacokinetic thought process with the, the drug candidates, and that is, you know, how fast the molecule is metabolized by the body um, or not metabolized by the body. Can you protect potentially active functionality on the molecule by having a methyl group that is chewed up earlier or even transformed into a more active 
uh, molecule when the, the methyl group is oxidized in most cases. And so that's typically a little bit different than just kind of these more conformational changes that we are talking about in terms of the magic methyl effect, but it's still one of the, the main characteristics of why researchers are trying to add methyl groups. A, a more general comment on just kind of the magic methyl effect, there's been a kind of resurgence in trying to search for kind of ways to add the methyl group late stage, um, but there's been a lot more research into trifluoromethylation, difluoromethylation, monofluoro um, addition to molecules, and that's just typically because that those have been easier to do late stage under milder conditions in the methyl effect. And so due to these kind of other comments that we've had where fluorines are a little bit more active in the body, add a bit more lipophilicity to the molecule, um, the methyl group is getting a lot more targeting now. And so there should be a lot of, you know, kind of cool new research that comes out in terms of adding methyls to these molecules late stage. And I think we've kind of said this throughout what we've been talking about so far, but it's important to remember that adding a methyl group may increase the properties of the molecule. You may see the large magic methyl effect, but it also could decrease the properties of the molecule. And so when researchers are exploring various drug candidates, oftentimes they find a scaffold that works really well, and then they want to try to optimize that further by adding a methyl group or by adding other functionality. And currently, the majority of times to add a methyl group to various positions requires a completely new synthetic route where they start with that methyl group and install it in one of the very first steps of the synthesis and have to carry it forward to make that drug analog. And so this oftentimes takes just a lot of time to resynthesize all of these different analogs with various methylation patterns. And so um, unless they have a really good reason and a really good hypothesis on why this might help, they may not go back and look at these different analogs. But if we had more methods that can install these late stage, then researchers can explore this methylated chemical space and potentially find more molecules that are more biologically active and help with the optimization of drug candidates. With that introduction to the magic methyl effect, we are going to kind of go through some modern precedents. And just in light of this kind of all pertaining to Christina White's most recent nature paper, where she does methylation in the alpha position next to heteroatoms, we're going to focus on kind of the three recent fields that have been targeting this style of methylation. To start, we're going to look at deprotonation followed by trapping with electrophiles. So deprotonation of the proton in that alpha position to give you a carbanion, ion, um, which can either be stabilized or, or not, and then trapping with some sort of electrophilic group to provide that uh, functionality. And so in the case of uh, methylation, it would be an electrophilic methyl group. The, the precedence for this actually dates back to the um, early 90s with Peter Beek. He worked on papyridine, pyrrolidine style, and heterocycles. Basically, these reactions were was a deprotonation with secbuly, um, secbutylithium, followed by the addition of um, dimethyl sulfate, which is an electrophilic methyl source, um, to provide methylation in that alpha position um, next to the nitrogen. And you know, these ring systems aren't very complex. They are literally papyridine, pyrrolidine, um, some some functionality sometimes on them, but this is kind of the first, you know, some of the first attempts at doing this style of methylation chemistry. Um, and so he actually has a, a good number of papers out on this style of chemistry 
to produce these sorts of methylated um, reactions, even going as far to using spartine, which is a, yeah, a, a chiral natural product that can be used to induce an antiselectivity in these reactions. And so this is kind of where the field of um, at least the style of deprotonative um, electrophilic methylation started. More recently, Daniel Seidel has come up with some nice advances to this work where they can do similar functionalizations on deprotected heterocycles. So in their case, they can start with a deprotected pyrrolidine and deprotonate the hydrogen on the nitrogen with a strong lithium base. And then in the presence of a hydride acceptor, in their case, the hydride acceptor is a simple carbonyl compound, the deprotonated pyrrolidine can donate a hydride to the hydride acceptor, yielding an imine intermediate, which can then be trapped by any range of nucleophiles. They're, in their case, they're usually using Grignard reagents. And going off of the same deprotonation type of strategy, Greg Fu has published some work in JAX a few years back doing uh, cross-coupling, where again, pyrrolidine is deprotonated and then it's transmetallated to zinc and further transmetallated to nickel where it's cross-coupled with an alkyl iodide. But I think the important thing to stress in all of these cases is that all of these reports use really strong base to do that deprotonation. So we've stressed earlier that what you really want to be able to do in a methylation is just to add a methyl group at the late stage of drug development. And a lot of these uh, big, complex drug candidates aren't going to hold up well to S-Buley and strong bases like that. I, and and I, th I think this point uh, that Matt's making comes out when you look at the scope of these reactions, um, where, again, kind of the parent molecules and as well as, you know, even some of the more advanced functionality is still really on saturated, unfunctionalized papyridine rings. So in addition to this deprotonation approach, other researchers have tried to do alpha functionalizations through photoredox catalysis. So most notably, uh, McMillan, who's really a pioneer in this field, developed a reaction where a photoredox catalyst was able to oxidize quinuclidine to the quinuclidinium radical cation. And this radical cation is a really electrophilic radical and it's very good at doing hydrogen atom transfer selectively for the most hydritic CH bond on a substrate. So it's able to do selective HAT at CH bonds next to heteroatoms. And then the carbon-centered radical that's formed can be trapped by nickel and cross-coupled with an alkyl electrophile. And they showed one example of methylation using methyltosylate as an electrophile. But again, in this case too, kind of like Wes was saying, this worked really well on simpler substrates, but they didn't show too many drug-like candidates being methylated. Additionally, in this Millen paper, they were focused on alkylation reactions. And so they show a few examples of alkylating semi-complex molecules being um, amino acids and peptide derivatives. But when it came to installing a methyl group versus a larger alkyl chain, uh, they ran into more issues and had to re-optimize their conditions and therefore only showed methylation with uh, methyltosylate on two examples of a protected pyrrolidine. 
Yeah, so the, the final thing I wanted to bring up um, just to kind of highlight was this idea of polarity matching uh, for this hydrogen atom transfer step of the reaction. McMillan highlights this fact and Matt highlighted it as well that they, they chose quinucleidine because the radical cation of quinucleidine is an electrophilic hydrogen um, abstractor. And so it targets hydritic protons um, in the CH bonds. And so those uh, hydrogens that are on that alpha carbon next to heterocycle are slightly hydritic, whereas hydrogens on just normal, you know, carbon, carbons and alkyl chains or next to say an oxygen heteroatom typically are closer to neutral hydrogens. And so while their, their BDFEs, their bond association free energies may be lower, because the, the hydritic CH bond in that alpha position next to the nitrogen um, kind of has this partial negative charge on it being this hydritic proton, quinucleidine is more likely to extract that hydrogen. And so this is a really nice example of using kind of fizzord ideas to direct a reaction to where you're wanting to target that chemistry. So the last um, approach that we're going to talk about today with doing the installing a methyl group alpha to a uh, heteroatom is by using a directing group. And so Jin Kwang, you published in 2017 a report using a thioamide directing group on a pyrrolidine core and showing the CH aerylation reaction by using palladium to catalysis uh, and aryl boronic acids. After identifying these conditions to work well for the aerylation reaction, he did apply this to one example using a methyl boronic acid and found that it worked, but it required increased equivalencies and it required more optimization to have the methylation reaction work in up to 47% yield. Overall, these examples from both the um, deprotonation with a strong base strategy, uh, the photoredox strategy, and the directing group strategy all highlight that these reports have been really great for what they have aimed to do, but have not been focused on methylation. Methylation has been typically one substrate or maybe two substrates within their paper. And so one nice aspect about Christina White's paper is that this focus solely on the methylation reaction and highlighted how to install a methyl group in such a late stage complex setting. To, to build on Grace's point there, it kind of feels like the field, as, as I read through this field to prepare for the podcast, it feels like this field has kind of like come around again, where some of the early work from Peter Beek you know, the, a lot of the targeted electrophiles were methyl. Like the, the point was to install selectively a methyl group in that alpha position. Um, and then they would study other hetero, um, other electrophiles just, you know, to kind of see what the scope of the reaction was to where um, a lot of the more recent reports um, have been interested in installing unique functionality as that, you know, an additive group to, to the um, alpha position rather than focused on the single methyl group. And now as the magic methyl effect is getting more, um, attention and we've, we've developed more complex chemistries, um, we're able to now kind of come back and target specifically methylation, realizing that methylation is not the same a lot of times as simple even just alkylation of different saturated carbon chains. Uh, methyl, the, you know, the, the methyl radical, the methyl cation, the methyl anion all have their unique characteristics and are just completely different than even just their, you know, simple structures that look similar. And so there have been a few recent reports that have just focused on sole methylation of 
Arians, um, Christina White's now of the, these alpha positions. And I think we'll probably find more coming down the pipeline as well. Jumping into the Christina White paper, the first step of this methylation strategy is actually a CH hydroxylation. And that hydroxyl group is later converted to a methyl group. So just as some context to this paper, the white group has been focused for the past 15 or so years on developing catalysts, which can do site-selective CH hydroxylation. So, so in 2007, the white group came up with these iron PDP catalysts, which can do site-selective aliphatic oxidations. And the mechanism that they think is happening here is that when the iron catalyst is in the presence of hydrogen peroxide oxidant and an acetic acid additive, an iron oxo catalyst, which is the active catalyst, can be formed. And this iron oxo catalyst abstracts a hydrogen from a substrate, producing a very short-lived carbon-centered radical, which then does a radical rebound to form the hydroxylated product. And this reaction is even stereospecific, which shows how short that carbon-centered radical actually lives. So this was truly a groundbreaking paper, but there was still work to be done. So specifically, this iron PDP catalyst wasn't always great at differentiating between secondary and tertiary CH bonds. And further, it couldn't tolerate a lot of aromatic functionality. So later in 2013, the white group introduced a new ligand, which they called the CF3 PDP ligand. It relies a lot more on the steric environment of the CH bond, and it favors the more sterically accessible secondary over tertiary CH bond. And finally, in 2019, they had solved the selectivity issue between secondary and tertiary CH bonds, but they still weren't able to tolerate aromatic functionality. So they hypothesized that if they changed the metal to manganese from iron, manganese has a lower oxidation potential and is more basic, um, which they thought would favor CH activation versus aryan oxidation. Uh, and indeed, that was the case. Hopefully that gives some background as to why they're using the catalyst that they're using in this paper, which is the manganese CF3 PDB catalyst. And again, that's because it's very selective for secondary CH bonds, and it also can tolerate some more readily oxidizable aryan functionality. So like Matt was saying, the first step in this strategy is to do a CH hydroxylation reaction using their manganese CF3PDP catalyst. That forms a hemiaminal, which then using a Lewis acid or a fluorine source can form an aminium ion. And then a mildly nucleophilic methyl source can attack and form your methylated product. There are clearly a lot of challenges with their proposed mechanism. Not only are they trying to get a very site-selective CH hydroxylation alpha to a heteroatom, they also have to worry about chemoselectivity. So like we were talking about earlier, any aromatic functionality cannot be oxidized for this to work. And after they form the hemi-M&L, that hemi-M&L is really activated. So they struggled between going from the hemi-M&L to the aminium ion rather than further oxidizing the hemi-M&L to the corresponding amide. Yeah, so along those lines, what they ended up finding out was that lower catalyst loading was an important factor for maintaining reasonable yields in the overall methylation reaction. And what they proposed this uh, manifested itself is that the 
manganese catalyst, which does have the propensity to do the overoxidation to form the um, amide, at lower catalyst loadings, that, form, that amide formation is slowed down. And so by lowering the catalyst loading, they're better able to match the rate of overoxidation to the rate of continuing down the reaction to form the aminium cation. And so by running the reaction at lower catalyst concentration, the aminium cation formation is now faster, um, or at least competitive with overoxidation, providing higher yields. Looking more in depth at the transformation from the hemi-aminal intermediate to the aminium intermediate, the white group came up with two different strategies to do this. So the first one was adding in a Lewis acid, which could complex to the hydroxyl group of the hemi-aminal and promote aminium ion formation. So this is a, a pretty standard approach, but they also came up with an approach where they could use a fluorinating reagent, specifically DAST or deoxyflor, which could transform the hemi-aminal to the corresponding alkyl fluoride. Then in the next step, trimethyl aluminum, which is really fluorophilic, can abstract that fluorine and promote aminium ion formation. And after that aminium ion is formed, trimethyl aluminum can act as, like Grace said, a, a mild methylating reagent. So overall, this strategy worked really well for the white group in respect to having an outstanding functional group tolerance. They were able to methylate substrates that were unapproachable previously using some of these other strategies. And so you can see while looking through the scope of her paper, they're able to tolerate many basic functionalities like amines and heterocycles. They have many fluorines and cyano groups in their molecules. They have many different complex uh, cores that they're able to incorporate. And through all of them, you see that the methylation is happening at the position alpha to a heteroatom. That is the most, that is the least sterically hindered position. And another just point to bring up here is that in a molecule where there are CH bonds in both alpha positions. So if we look at molecule 42, for example, you can methylate either alpha to the nitrogen at a secondary position or a tertiary position. And this catalyst only functionalizes or does the CH functional CH abstraction on the secondary position with no epimerization of this tertiary stereocenter. So the catalyst control behind this method is very powerful. Yeah, just to pick out, uh, I think one example that is really impressive and, and really speaks towards why you know, we've been talking about this late, this need for late stage uh, methylation and those sorts of factors is part B of figure four, um, compound 46, where they target this, um, what, what is already known to be a magic methyl substrate, they call it. So they know that the addition of a methyl group alpha to the nitrogen is going to provide a significantly enhanced um, biological activity. Um, and so going through their method, they're able to methylate that position in a 23% yield, and then they just have to do a cross-coupling to, to tack on the last um, ring system, and that's done in a pretty high yield. So in, in basically a 20% overall yield, they're able to add this methyl group. And when all you really need is, when, when, when all you need is just a few milligrams to be able to at least test the substrate as a beneficial you know, drug candidate, 
20% overall yield starting from something that you've already made or, you know, something that you can get to relatively easily to then, you know, just add late stage of methyl group is actually really nice. And, you know, this can now be tested. And then if it, if it actually becomes something exciting, then you can go through a, a process development to actually figure out a way that you would make this molecule on scale. But they compare it to the de novo synthesis, or so the, the total synthesis basically starting from um, commercially available molecules. And that would have typically been a, a six-step route in 1.4% overall yield from, you know, having to basically have that methyl group in the starting material. And so it really speaks towards why the development of these late stage modification techniques and now really this late stage methylation is, is such a powerful technique to develop. So one thing that I highly appreciate about this paper, and it's one of my favorite things while reading this paper, is in figure 1a when she's introducing her strategy for methylation, she talks about uh, these molecules that have seen this magic methyl effect on these quite complex systems. And so she showcases quite a few of them of how adding a methyl group increases the potency of the molecule. And a lot of papers bring in uh, quite complex molecules at the start of their report and talk about how their method is addressing this issue. But oftentimes in those papers, you see a substrate scope that doesn't necessarily reflect the complexity that they talk about in the beginning of their paper. And in this paper, Christina White absolutely does. She takes those molecules that she discussed in the beginning and talked about how the magic methyl effect was so important. And she showcases later on exactly how her method can install that methyl group late stage. And it's just really refreshing to see that the correlation between the complexity that she's proposing at the beginning of uh, her report and what she's able to do at the end uh, matches. And I just thought that was really neat. <laughs> so this wasn't our typical dive into a paper, um, but that's because we have had a really great interview with Christina White that will be coming out after this episode. And so we really encourage you to go now listen to that interview. Christina goes, you know, not, not only do we talk to her about kind of her research program and kind of her take on the field of methodology development and synthetic utility, but we, we um, spend a good amount of time talking with her about the results in this paper and what led up to them. So it's going to be a really great interview and we encourage you to go listen to it.